good morning. We ready to start this expedition? Amen. Well, let's uh, ask the Lord for his grace and uh, to make the clock go slow. Let's pray. Our gracious Father, we approach your throne today with the humility of recognizing that we do not belong in your presence because of our sin. But because of Jesus' righteousness, we are brought in. We are welcomed. We are invited to come before you to ask for your help. Today we do so. We ask you to help us to get a, a big picture idea of what's going on in the book of Genesis. How this book provides for us the seeds of the incredible truths that are laid out in Scripture. And so, Father, we ask for understanding for the ability to comprehend and, and put this into a um, an outline or a, a, to see it in a, in a big picture way that we would be able to think through this book. And, and as we as individuals then approach the book of Genesis, we can, we can see what's going on and we can follow the progression. And so guide our time and uh, give me grace in my communication. In Jesus' name, amen. In her book, Mystery on the Desert, Maria Reich describes a series of strange lines made by the Nazea people in the plains of Peru, some of them covering many square miles. For years, people assumed these lines were the remnants of ancient irrigation ditches. And in 1939, Dr. Paul Kosak of Long Island University discovered their true meaning, found that it could only be found when seen from on high. When viewed from an airplane, these seemingly random lines form enormous drawings of birds, insects, and animals. In a similar way, people often think of the Bible as a series of individual, unrelated stories. But if we survey the scriptures as a whole, we discover that they form one great, grand story of redemption. From the opening scenes of Genesis to the final chapters of Revelation, God is telling a story. He's laying out his story for you and I, a story of redemption. You and I will never know who we are or where we're headed until we know where we've come from. That's why many of us in our world research our ancestries and pay money for someone 
to map out our DNA. We want to know who we are. We want to know where we came from. We're hoping that by uncovering our past, we can discover our identity and maybe even our destiny. This is one of the reasons God gives us the book of Genesis. So who wrote Genesis? When? Where did he get his information? What is the book's purpose? These are simple questions that have generated considerable controversy over the past 300 years. Many liberal scholars have come up with their own answers to these questions. Much of it not very helpful. Some of it may be. Prior to that, Jewish traditions taught and Christians believed that Moses wrote the entire Pentateuch, which is the first five books of the Bible, Genesis through Deuteronomy, Penta being five, uh, Tuk being scrolls or book, the five books of Moses from Genesis to Deuteronomy. Jesus himself ascribed authorship to Moses. The scribes and Pharisees of Jesus' day ascribe authorship to Moses. And so when we accept Moses' authorship of Genesis, it's also reasonable to assume that he wrote or dictated these five books during those 40 years of wandering in the wilderness. He had time. Undoubtedly, he drew upon oral history in his early education in Egypt. He was educated uh, in, in Egypt uh, as, as a prince of Egypt. The rest could have easily been supplemented by God himself as God spoke to Moses. As Moses spent 40 days up on the, the mountain getting the Ten Commandments, and then he came down and he found them worshiping the golden calf. And so he broke the commandments, the tablets, and, and then he went back up on the mountain for another 40 days to get the new ones. So in those 80 days, it's very likely that God was speaking to Moses about those early stories so that Moses could record those. Moses' immediate audience for the book of Genesis was his own people, and particularly that new generation that was about to enter the land of promise. Those young people needed a trustworthy account of their forefathers, their origins, their travels and travails, and not least of all, the covenants that God had made with his people. In that record, they would find their identity and their inspiration. Through it, they would learn to appreciate who they were. As God's called out people, God's chosen people, and find the strength to walk in accord with it. The word Genesis means beginnings. Here's the beginnings. Genesis 1.1 tells us this. In the beginning, God. In the beginning, God. Everything that follows is the unfolding of God's story of life on earth. And God's ultimate purpose to redeem mankind. And to restore not only mankind, but all of creation that has been affected by the fall. Back to himself. Every major doctrinal motif that runs through scripture has its seeds, its beginning in the book of Genesis. From creation of the universe and everything in it, to man, 
The Sabbath, marriage, sin, sacrifice, salvation, family, worship, society, government, nations, and particularly the nation of Israel. And many, many other things all have their seed, their beginning in Genesis, the book of beginnings. On your outline, you, you have at the top there a chart. Genesis is not so much a history of man, but the history of the redemption of man. At least the beginnings of that. Genesis is a highly selective spiritual interpretation of history. It doesn't tell us everything about history. There's much we can learn from other history books about what took place in history. This is God's uh, laying out what he wanted us, and, and particularly Israel at that time, to understand about history. It's divided into two major sections, this is the book of Genesis. The first 11 chapters, there are four great events. Four great events. And then the last uh, chapters, 12 through 15, we have four great individuals, or four key individuals. Those four key events are, first of all, creation. God is so the sovereign creator of matter, energy, space, and time. And man is the pinnacle of his creation. Male and female, created an image of God. Mankind, the pinnacle of the creator's creativity. Then there's the fall. Creation is followed by corruption. In the first sin, man is separated from God. Right? Because Adam and Eve did not obey the one command God gave them in the garden, do not eat from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, they were separated from God, kicked out of the garden, and death entered the world. Death is separation. There was a, a spiritual death, a separation between God, a holy God, and sinful mankind. The second sin in Genesis 4 between Cain and Abel separated man from man. This is what sin does. It causes separation. It causes division and destruction. In spite of the devastating curse of the fall, God promises hope of redemption. And we have the seed of the gospel in Genesis 3.15 where God told the serpent there would be enmity between the serpent and the woman, between the seed and her seed. And ultimately her seed, where his seed would bruise the heel, her seed would crush his head. And of course that seed of the woman is the Messiah who would one day in the fullness of time enter into this world. And so we have the seeds of the gospel on the heels of sin. And then the next is the flood. As man multiplies, sin also multiplies until God is compelled to destroy humanity with the exception of Noah and his family. Again, a picture of the gospel. God's holy just judgment upon mankind because of sin. And yet God in his mercy and grace took one man who was a faithful man and his family and spared them, putting them in the ark, the salvation from God's judgment. 
That very story is the story God used to lead my father to Christ. As he sat among a group of men hearing a preacher preach on this passage, he could literally feel the water coming up his ankles. The judgment of God. He knew he was outside the ark. He knew that he, if he were to die that night, would be separated from God. This is a picture of the gospel. And then the fourth is the nations. The, the, how God at the Tower of, Bible, uh, Tower of Babel, God, had a, there was a unity among humanity. Right? They were all from Adam through Noah, speaking one language. But they thought that they knew how to get to God. So they built a tower. They believed they could build a tower to reach God. So God separated the people and confused their languages and the nations were born. So four key events in the first 11 chapters lays out the early history of the human race. The beginnings of all mankind. Creation, the fall, flood, the nations. Over 2,000 years of history in, one, in 11 chapters. And depending on your view of the creation story, and whether it's literal seven days or whether there are periods of time, and there are good, solid biblical scholars who, who have differing ideas on that and hold the Bible to be true and the inspired Word of God. And so it could be an actually extended period of time. And then you have four key individuals. Once the nations were scattered... God focuses attention on one man who would become one nation. His name was Abram, or Abraham, later to be called. The calling of Abraham in chapter 12 of Genesis is the pivotal point of this book. And here this morning, we're going we're gonna to parachute down from the 33,000-foot view and land here in Genesis 12, verses 1 through 9. But then you go from Abraham to his son Isaac. God established his covenant with Isaac as the spiritual link with Abraham. And then Isaac's son Jacob. God transforms this man from selfishness to servanthood and changes his name from Jacob supplanter to Israel and from him and his 12 sons became the nation of Israel the 12 tribes of Israel and then the fourth is one of Jacob's sons Jacob's favorite son Joseph who suffers at the hands of his brothers and becomes a slave in Egypt and after his dramatic rise to the rulership of Egypt Joseph delivers his family from famine and brings them out of Canaan into the land of Goshen in Egypt. Genesis ends on a note of impending bondage with the death of Joseph. There's a great need for God's redemption that we learn about in the book of Exodus. So let's parachute down now to Genesis chapter 12, verses 1 through 9. Well, we pick up with the call 
of Abraham. God's calling this man to himself and to follow him. Genesis chapter 12, verses 1 through 9. Again, the nations have been now scattered. Abram is living in the land of Ur of the Chaldeans. He and his father have moved to Haran, which many believe was their actually place of origin, their family of origin. They moved south. I'm sorry, they moved north from Ur up to Haran. Uh, the, the father, Terah, the father of Abram, stayed there until he died. And then Abraham, Abram left and came down to the land that God was giving him. This is what God's call to Abram was. And most believe that God called him when he was still in Ur, but then he didn't, didn't come until he was in Haran. But it says this, verses 1 through 9 of Genesis 12. Now the Lord said to Abram, Go forth from your country, your relatives, and from your father's house to the land which I will show you. And I will make you a great nation, and I will bless you and make your name great. And so you shall be a blessing. And I will bless those who bless you, and the one who curses you I will curse. And in you all the families of the earth shall be blessed. So Abram went forth, as the Lord had spoken to him, and Lot went with him. Now Abram was 75 years old when he departed from Haran. And Abram took Sarai, his wife, and Lot, his nephew, and all their possessions which they had accumulated, and the persons, or souls, which they had acquired in Haran. And they set out for the land of Canaan, thus they came to the land of Canaan. And Abram passed through the land as far as the site of Shechem, to the oak of Moriah. Now the Canaanite was then in the land. And the Lord appeared to Abram and said, To your descendants I will give this land. So he built an altar there to the Lord who appeared to him. And he proceeded from there to the mountain on the east of Bethel and pitched his tent with Bethel on the west and Ai on the east. And there he built an altar to the Lord and called upon the name of the Lord. And Abram journeyed on continuing toward the Negev, which is the southern portion of Israel. So Haran is far north of the land of Israel. And God called him to come to this place. What we see in this story and in the life of Abram is this truth that genuine faith produces genuine obedience. Genuine faith produces genuine obedience. In fact, throughout Scripture, you cannot separate these two concepts, faith and obedience. In fact, Paul in Romans talks about the obedience of faith. This is what it is. We can say all day long, I have faith. I believe in God. I trust in God. But when it's time for me to act, I prove that I believe in God, that I have faith in God, that I have trust in God, because I act according to that trust. This is what we see. When we, we want to look first about the call, the call in the very first three verses. God called Abraham to go 
and be. To go and be. There's two imperatives, two commands. The first is go forth. Go forth. Leave country, relatives, and your father's house. And go to the land that I will show you. Everything Abram knew and everything that was part of his life, he was called to leave. Well, where am I supposed to go, God? I'll show you when you get there. <laughs> Wait a minute. I kind of like to know where I'm going before I start this journey. Trust me. I'll show you when we get there. Three promises follow that command. Verse 2. I'm going to make you a great nation. I'm going to bless you. And I'm going to make your name great. From you, Abram, will come forth an entire nation, a great nation. I will greatly bless you, and I'm going to make your name great. He's 75 years old at this point. He doesn't have any kids yet. To believe God was an act of faith. And there's the second imperative. In my translation, says, so you shall be a blessing, literally is, you be a blessing. It's a command. You be a blessing. What does that blessing look like? Verse 5. When he left, he took Sarah, his wife, Sarai, his wife, Lot, his nephew, and all the possessions they had accumulated. And then it says, and the persons or literally the souls, which they had acquired in Haran. Alan Ross, commentator, says this. So tucked away in this, in this verse, easily overlooked is the expression, and the people whom they had acquired in Haran. This expression probably does not refer to the acquisition of slaves, which is what we would maybe assume from the English. We think, well, he acquired Right? Servants. He says it probably doesn't, because the Hebrew word that's used here would not likely be used for that. It certainly does not refer to their children because Sarah was barren until she has Isaac years later. He says, uh, one commentator argues that this expression probably refers to proselytes. And if he's correct, the narrative implies that already in Haran, Abram has begun sharing his faith in the Lord. Be a blessing. What does it mean to be a blessing? Tell other people who I am. God says. Talk to them about me. I want you to go. And I want you to be. 
three promises follow that second command. Verse 3, I will bless those who bless you. No one curses you, I will curse. Right? So, so you have this, these first two. Abram, everyone who treats you well, I will treat well. Because you're my man. You're the one I've called out. You're the one I'm using. You're the one I'm working through. And so everyone who blesses you and treats you well, I'm going to treat them well. And everyone who does not treat you well, I will deal with them. That's the promise. If you're, going to, if you're willing to listen to me and be a blessing, this is what I'm going to do. And then the third promise is a glorious promise for you and me. He says, and in you, Abram, in you, in your seed, through you, all the nations or all the families of the earth shall be blessed. Paul picks up on this in Galatians 3.8. He says in the scripture, foreseeing that God would justify the Gentiles by faith, preached the gospel beforehand to Abraham, saying, in you all the nations shall be blessed. This is the gospel. Well, God is telling Abram that Abram could not have understood at that time is that through you, through this nation that I'm going to make, this great nation, through your seed, there will come one, one day in time and space, the one who will bless all the peoples of the earth. We know his name to be Jesus, the Messiah, the anointed one, the Christ. Here is again a seed of the gospel, the promise to Abram if he would obey the command to go and be. He obeyed. And we have been blessed because of Abram's faith and trust in God. It wasn't all easy, as it never is. There are two obstacles we have revealed for us that Abram faced. Verse 4, he was 75 years old when he left. Most of us in the hearing of my voice are under 75 years old, but many of us would say, I'm too old to go do something new. I'm too old at this point. I'm tired, and I got less time ahead of me than I got behind me, most likely. And So age was an obstacle for Abram. We're also told in verse 6, the Canaanite was in the land. The Canaanite was in the land. By the time this was written, the people of Israel were beginning to read it. They knew who the Canaanite was. That's the enemy. There was opposition. There was opposition that Abram would encounter. Once he obeyed the first command, and really even began obeying the second, 
God appeared to him. Right? Verse 7. The Lord appeared to him. That's the first time we see the Lord appearing to him. The Lord spoke to him. And he went forth according to the word of the Lord. But now the Lord appears to him and reaffirms. This land you are now walking through, this land I'm going to give to your descendants. A few chapters later, Abram wondered, I don't have any kids yet, and I'm not getting any younger. Maybe my nephew Lot, or, or there was actually another nephew, uh, or a, a, a servant that was born in his house. He said, okay, maybe through this servant you're going to bless. And God says, no, through your seed. Okay, well then they thought, Sarai said, well, you know, I'm, I'm getting old now. I, I don't think I'm going to have any kids, so why don't I give you my handmaid uh, and, and, and you can have, uh, have, take her as your second wife and have a child through her, and that's through this, how you're going to do this. And then Eshmael was born, and God said, no, that's not going to happen. It's through Sarai. <laughs> and it wasn't until she was 90 years old. And Abraham name was changed Abram from, Ab from Abram to Abraham. He was 100 years old, and Isaac was born. Obstacles. But God appeared, and God promised. Not only did God call Abram to go and be, but God calls us to go and be. God calls us to go hard after that one promised seed, the Messiah, Jesus. To be a blessing. He calls us to leave anything and everything that stands in the way of having a relationship with Jesus Christ. Many of you know, you can look back and see that moment when God called you to Himself. When God, somebody shared the, the message of the gospel with you, Either you heard it in a church service or some other uh, gathering of people or someone personally and individually shared with you this truth and God's Spirit quickened your mind and heart to understand and believe. It's a call to leave a mindset that is contrary to God and who He is and His Word says. As well as a call to leave a lifestyle and it's contrary to God and His Word. Just as, just as Abram was to walk away from the things that he knew, that Ur was a pagan place. They worshipped idols. And though he had some sense of who this Yahweh was, He's starting out with a very minimal understanding in comparison to what you and I understand. He believed him. And he followed. I love the way Paul puts it in 1 Thessalonians 1 when he's talking about the believers in Thessalonica. And he's, he's, uh, he's saying about uh, the report of the uh, well, yeah, the report that he's hearing from the Macedonians about him and the people of Thessalonica. He says this, 
For they, that is the Macedonians, themselves report about us what kind of reception we had with you. How you turned to God from idols to serve a living and true God and to wait for his son from heaven whom he raised from the dead, that is Jesus, who delivers us from the wrath to come. They turned to God from idols. That's the reality of our salvation. We turn to God from anything and everything that is an idol in our life, anything and everything that, that takes first place for us. And we come to Him. He calls us to be a blessing, to live our lives in such a way that we impact other people for eternity, for the kingdom of God. Let me ask you, do you ever give thought? Do you ever ponder how can I live in such a way? How can I make decisions in such a way? How can I walk this journey on life in such a way that my life actually impacts other lives for the sake of Christ? Does what I do matter for eternity for someone else? Or are we going to make the same mistake the nation of Israel made down through history? And that is thinking that, well, I'm the privileged one. I've been blessed by God to know Him, to have salvation, to be His set-apart people, but I'm going to keep it to myself. It must be something about me that God sees and thinks I'm wonderful. God established the nation of Israel to be His priest to the rest of the world. To, to proclaim the wonderful truth about who Yahweh is. And he's done the same for you and I. We are blessed to be a blessing. Too often, we forget that, and we just live our lives self-focused, self-centered, and spending all of our time, talents, and treasures on self. As if I'm here for me. God has called us to go and be. It doesn't mean we leave our location necessarily, though some have felt that special call and have left everything they know here and have gone to be a blessing somewhere else. And as we've been talking about the Stokes and what they've done, you know, I sometimes sit back and think, God, if you called me to do that, would, would I be able to go? Would I be able to leave everything I know and, and you know, I don't even like to go camping in a tent. I long to go live among a people that is so primitive. And yet if it weren't for people who heard that specific call like them and so many others who've gone to so many places where people have never had the chance to hear and invest their lives in learning to, to understand this spoken language, to write it down, and to go through that whole process, and to write lessons, and to, and to begin translating the Bible in that language, and then to teach them about the God who loves them, and who sent His Son for them. It's a glorious way to spend your life. These measly years on this earth in comparison to all of eternity. 
Now, God does not call every one of us to, to go like that. But we're all called to go. That is, in our going, as we walk through life, we ought to look for ways to be a blessing. Invest our lives. But we will encounter obstacles. Just as Abram did. There will be obstacles. Maybe age is one of those obstacles. Man, I'm, I'm tired. I'm getting old. I'm not sure I can do these things. It's not you that has to do it. It's God who does it in us and through us. Say, but I, I don't have the gifts or the abilities. I don't have the knowledge. I don't have this. I don't have that. How don't we forget what we don't have when we look at what we do have? But I don't know what that's going to look like. Well, neither did he. He didn't even know where he was going. God said, if you trust me, I will, I will lead you there. And I don't know about you, but I, I have a real hard time when I don't know what the next step is. I really, I want to know, okay, how's this going to work out? And uh, kind of underneath that is, am I going to come out looking okay or am I going to look like a fool? Right? Because I want to make it about me. And God has to remind me, it isn't about you. It's about me. I want you just to hear me. I'm telling you, go and be. You leave the results to me. So where are the obstacles in your life? And are you allowing them to keep you from going and being? Only you can answer that question before God. Well, we've been touching on the response, but let's, let's look at the response now. We've got the call, and then we've got the response. Abram's response to God required faith and obedience. The evidence of his faith is seen in verse 4. And so Abram went forth as the Lord spoke to him. All he knew was, I'm supposed to leave all this stuff, and I'm supposed to go. And when I get there, I guess he'll tell me when I'm there. He went forth. Again, verse 5, after it tells us everything he took, and it says, and they set out for the land of Canaan. And then in verse 9, and Abram journeyed on. Continuing toward the negative. All three of those are the same verb form. Same verb. It corresponds to the command, go forth. He went forth. They went. They journeyed. His obedience demonstrated his faith. It's funny. He was told some specific things about what he was leaving. But he was told very little about where he was going. God gave instructions. He believed God his word, and he obeyed. And then the Lord appeared to him while he was going. Don't we want God to, to make it so clear to us before we even step out? We want, all, we want all the answers. We want God to do stuff before we even take one step of faith. 
Abram went based on the word of God. And when he got there, God appeared to him. And when God appeared to him, he responded in worship. He built altars. Verse 7. The Lord appeared to Abram and he said, To your sins I will give this land. So he built an altar to the Lord who appeared to him. He worshipped the Lord. Verse 8. Again, he moved on from that place to this place near Bethel and Ai, which we will learn about later, right, in the book of Joshua. Well, we'll learn about Bethel even in the book of Genesis. But he built an altar there to the Lord. And then it says, my translation says, he called upon the name of the Lord. But again, Alan, Alan Ross in his commentary gives us more information about that. He says the response to God's confirming appearance was worship. The idea of sacrifice presumed here was the building of an altar, with the building of an altar continues the ancient form of expressing gratitude and devotion. But the second mention of the building of an altar also says he made proclamation of the Lord by name. The expression first used in Genesis 4.26 refers to the public proclamation of faith in the Lord. The expression is used in the Bible for prayer and for praise, but in the Mosaic material, that is, what Moses wrote in Genesis through Deuteronomy, it seems to be broader than that. Although a public proclamation of faith could include prayer and praise, Martin Luther translated it, he preached, which is a good rendering in this context. The interesting feature about this proclamation at the altar is the substance. He proclaimed the name of the Lord. When Abram's proclamation is combined with the wording of the call, we can see something of the nature of true faith. The Lord promised to make Abram's name great and to make him famous. And Abram responded by proclaiming the name of the Lord, making the Lord famous in Canaan, as it were. When we recall that the Shinarites, that is, the people in Shinar at the Tower of Babel, were involved in their disobedient enterprise in order to make a name for themselves, we see how different this man of faith was. Those who seek fame through disobedience will be given an infamous name, but those who seek to exalt the name of the Lord through their obedient service will be made famous. That was the promise to Abram. Just as his response required faith and obedience, your response and mine requires faith and obedience. We need to believe God at his word. Which means that we then obey it. The Bible is God's breathed out instructions we looked at last week it is profitable for teaching us right and wrong it is profitable for reproving us when we are wrong it is profitable for correcting us to get us back to right 
and it's profitable to train us up in righteousness, to build us up, to parent us up. And the process of growth is the process of what Abraham or Abram did, and that is continuing to leave everything and anything that stands in the way of us following Christ and going hard after him and being a blessing along the way. We're told there in that passage from last week in 2 Timothy that when we do this, when we let the Word have its way, we become adequate, equipped for every good work. God does a work in us to build character and to give us everything we need to do what He's called us to do, the work of God. But you see, we need to be obedient to that Word. Chances are, and I know most of, of, of you are pretty well, even those who are watching online, many. My sense is, for most of us, we have enough from the Word of God, years of being in God's Word and, and, and being in church and learning, we have enough to be adequate and equipped to do something for God. And always keep growing. But there comes a time in each of our lives where we have to ask ourselves, do I really believe that this is God's Word? And that what is in here is instruction for me. And I've got to take it seriously. And so I'm going to spend time searching the Scriptures to find out what God says. And I'm going to ask him when I get into his word, God, what do you have to say to me? I want to understand it appropriately in its context, but I want to know, do you have something you want to say to me? It might be encouragement because I'm going through a hard time. It might be reproof because I'm not exactly where I need to be. It may be correction to help me get from where I am to where I should be. You might be training me up because you have a good work for me to do. And I've got to ask myself, am I willing to obey when he speaks? Because that is the evidence of real faith. The church in the United States of America, for the most part, is an anemic church. It's not because we don't have access to the Word of God. It's not because we don't have access to uh, good teachers and preachers of the Word of God. It's not that we don't have good translations in our own language. I have to conclude it's because we haven't taken it seriously. And like Daniel, who identified with the nation and acknowledging the sins of the nation, 
bring himself in with that. We've got to take responsibility for the reality of the spiritual condition of the church in the United States. We're part of that. And we've got to say, God, what's my part? I read something disturbing from God's Word this week. So I'm reading through Jeremiah. God's telling Jeremiah, this is early in the book, He's telling him, keep preaching to the people, keep telling them, but guess what? I've had it with them. They're going into exile. They're going into, uh, it's only a matter of time, they're going to be taken away. He hadn't given them the whole plan yet, who was going to come and all that, but he's telling them this. And he made this statement. God says, I'm tired of showing compassion. And when I read that, I was like, oh my. I sometimes presume upon the compassion of God. I keep thinking, God, you'll always show compassion to me. And then I thought, when is he going to get tired of this country and the, and the people who claim to be his people in this country? You know, we can easily sit back and, 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 and blame everybody in Washington and all the unbelievers who are doing whatever they, they th think is right, which is absurd because when you even think logically, it makes no sense. But, but we can sit back and we can, we can talk about how horrible all these people are and the decisions that are being made and how it impacts our lives. But at some point, we've got to look at our, in the mirror and say, what about God's people? And what about me? Am I presuming upon God's grace and compassion day after day? Or am I striving to live out God's Word? You and I aren't going to be perfect in it, but where's our heart in all this? The people of Israel were continuing to presume upon God and, and thinking, well, God has favored us, so we are, we are good to go. And sometimes, you know, we get wrapped up in theology to the point where we, we lose sight of all these other things and we just, we just key on one thing. Well, God's chosen me, so I'm good. I'm, I'm, I'm good to go. We take a truth that God has taught in His Word to help us to have a sense of security and well-being and uh, confidence in the grace of God and we presume upon it. And we think I can continue to act arrogantly and self-centeredly in all my life and just expect God's going to just continue. We've got to remember, we've been delivered from the spiritual consequences, but not the physical consequences of wrong, sinful decisions. And when you and I continue to live our lives focused on ourselves and not upon who God is and what God has said, we're, we're storing up discipline that we're going we're gonna to face at some point. If God at some point says, I'm tired of showing compassion to these people, I don't want to get there. Genuine faith produces genuine obedience. Are you pursuing 
the call of God to go and be through faith and obedience. Gracious Father, thank you that you are a compassionate God. So Father, may we never never presume upon that grace by continuing to cultivate this obedience thinking it will never catch up to us. Your compassion is there for us when we call to you and you will always, when we call out to you, your word promises us when we confess our sins, you're faithful and just to forgive us and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Your compassions are new every morning. Great is your faithfulness. We do not presume in our disobedience that there will not be consequences. Oh God, may we learn from the nation of Israel we learn from this great man, Abram, who with very little understanding chose to believe you at your word, chose to go where he didn't know where he was going because he trusted you. And he went and obeyed. Oh God, may we commit ourselves to seeking you seeking in your word the truth that you want to speak to us. And I know that some of the Bible is hard to understand. I hope it's as we go through this expedition we will get a better overview so that we can understand things in proper context. So help us Lord ask it in Christ's merciful name. Amen.